0: What I'm trying to say is I'm extremely proud and humbled to be able to work in healthcare because I know at the end of the day, this serves a human being for a better life.
1: Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI Mind Machines in the Creedian Ascent.
2: Thanks that you tuned in again to listen and to learn. We are Arbury and Uli, and our today's awesome mind is Ya Chi Nguyen, Head of Customer Service in Vietnam for Siemens Healthineers. He refers to himself as a child of globalization, born between Empire Strikes Back and the return of the Yidi. In short, he strives on the interface between AI and sales and aims to run things smoother.
1: May the force be with us, at least for this episode, but enough said. You know what? Let's dive right into the fuse of T on AI.
2: So T, welcome. How are you and where do we catch you today?
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Well, you catch me today at home. It's a Friday evening here in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. It's scorching hot, but it's hot pretty much every day
2: so let us get a quick check so what would you choose either luke skywalker or han solo han solo coffee or tea
0: both coffee with tea
2: coffee with tea. cat or dog
0: right now dog
2: dog and last but not least ai or human
0: uh, <laughs> Trick question. Of course, always human, but AI is also a human thing for the time being.
1: So, T, as so a Han Solo, you choose Hans Solo over Luke Skywalker. What? You are the soldier, right? You see us as a cowboy, huh? the cowboy in the galaxy, I guess, if you choose Han Solo instead of the the marvelous, good-looking Luke Skywalker, which you could also represent, right? T, I know you for what great experiences we had in the the lab doing project together. But, you know, and also most recently as having some conversations also online, right? You have had a great podcast, what it means embracing change, what means actually, you know, in times of COVID and and being in quarantine, right? But maybe for the folks out there, you know, can you describe who are you? You know, what's your journey, which is also marvelous, right? And how you end up in a place like Siemens? Well, let's just talk
0: a little bit about the child of globalization first and then how I ended up in Siemens so i was born and raised in berlin germany by vietnamese parents at that time there weren't really no vietnamese around not many yeah the only other vietnamese in school i've ever met was actually my older brother and i went to the us uh, at age 16 and i did a year there and i just stayed there and i studied so for me i was really truly a child of globalization because after my studies i started In the US, I started to work in Siemens. And I started in IT. After six years and three countries later, I worked in my first six countries in the UK, in Czech Republic, and then three years in Vietnam. So I moved from CIO to a CFO position. And then I did another tour in Spain, where I was four years. And when returning in 2014, I came back to Siemens in Germany in the headquarters worked there in sales back office operations and global programs being basically Mr offer to order order to cash for Siemens Digital Industries and since the last 2 months I joined Siemens Healthineers and I'm very proud to be able to be the head of customer service in Siemens Healthineers Vietnam so that in short is my Different life. And yeah, many people always ask me, how do you come from IT to finance to digitalization topics and then now to customer service? And it's always the same answer it's about the
1: journey. Crazy. Is yes, actually, actually, that's a, that's the a beauty somehow. Also, in in working in in a large corporation, right? It doesn't matter which one, actually. But it's the the beauty is, you know, having these distributions of different opportunities to embrace your own change, right? And say, like, you know what, it's time for a new adventure, and maybe also in different countries, and you experience quite a lot, right? I, I think you know, you. I guess you're challenging not your own, not only your own, but also the the flexibility and agility of your family, isn't it? <laughs> But, Absolutely. Uh, is always, always we're backing up or is, let's say, guiding with you or being on the road with you. Isn't it that challenging as well?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, when I was moving to Spain in 2010, my wife was five months pregnant. Right. I didn't speak any, my wife neither. We don't speak any word Spanish at that time. And I really had already uh, four assignments abroad by that time. So I really thought, wow, that's, that's crazy nothing nothing compared to now in COVID times to tr- go from germany to vietnam and now with the kid as well and as you know you know she had her birthday her 10th birthday in the hotel quarantine so yes that's a really crazy time so apparently i can always keep challenging myself
1: <laughs>
0: on crazy situations
2: and you were just telling us about different transformations, like personal transformations. But since you're also a very expert about digitalization, about digital transformations, who would you say drives um, digital transformation in large corporations? Is it the CEO or rather the CTO? Or maybe even another very well-known fella? Is it maybe COVID-19?
0: Well, I think in terms of... The reality of what we have seen in the past months, uh, definitely COVID-19 was a catalyst which enabled certain digital transformation efforts to be pushed. And I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about us using now a, a video conferencing or, or working from home. These are the really visible aspects. But I think what drives the digital transformation due to COVID is also to actually understand that we are often using the wrong language. You know, walk from home is not walk from home. You know, it's walk from anywhere. And when people say, oh, sometimes I actually would like to go to the office, that what they actually mean is I would love to see my colleagues again, right? And you can meet your colleagues, you know, whether it's in design, walking areas or just around the bar, you know. So, yes, it has driven a lot. But if we didn't have COVID-19, I would answer the question who drives digital transformation honestly i don't know but who should do it i would say it's everyone yeah i think everyone should be driving digital transformation because setting the tone is definitely a topic for the management so setting the context is always uh, top down but i think that we should also have the courage to allow the content uh, bottom up then you know? so When it comes to the messaging context meaning resources time trust top down when it comes to content bottom up and then you will always get it much quicker better quality with less resources if you can keep it but but if you do top-down content uh, i've seen it unfortunately many times it doesn't work that well
2: another aspect then because if you're saying like that we people should drive digital transformation is it then the we people that define the technology or is technology rather defining us
0: quite honestly uh, let me be a little bit provoking here i think along this question of the uh, putting the words together in this way you know people technology the problem is not whether it's people or technology. The problem is actually the word in the middle. It's an or. And because that question is put in such a way, you can only answer that way. Because the worst thing to do, like in a podcast, would be to say that's a bad question, right? So I don't say that's a bad question. at all. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> thanks, what I'm, what I'm trying to openness, say is right, um, that the wording, uh, for me, is a little bit uh, too limiting. And think about it like this. Should you eat oranges or broccoli? Well, both are healthy, right? But if you only eat broccoli and oranges, which are both healthy, you also die. So what I'm trying to say here is that the answer is not just to replace the or with and, but it's also and not only. And I think therefore, when we talk about people or technology, we must understand that all the technology up to today, which is in applicable use cases, is still created by people. So for me, technology is a, kind of art form of humanity it's a proof of what we are capable of doing so i don't think of technology
1: as an un inhuman thing all right uh, too. Alexa, um, remind me, no Boolean question anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about AI, right? Uh, let's think about AI in, in sales, right? So, AI is obviously also the machine learning and data driven insights, right? Boosts, obviously also in, in sales, right? Lead volumes, close rates, sales performance, right? So, a lot of aspects is where technology has been pushed to automate or to augmentate or to support or somehow the sales process, right? Would you say this Results already pretty much sure in corporate somehow incentives like revenues, you know, that what portion of machine learning can be somehow substantiated towards, you know, AI-driven decision makers and self-process. And maybe because you with your broad experience, right, can you shum- somehow share some use cases where, you know, you are driving or affiliated or you're excited about within the corporation over the last year you want to share with us? Well, of
0: course, one uh, specific use case I can definitely share is our project, and I hope uh, it's uh, still ongoing uh, when I've moved from my previous position as the head of Operation Excellence of Siemens Digital Industries, where we have used uh, machine learning or AI in our uh, pricing context. And basically, it is uh, by the use of this technology, we want to derive the highest price a customer is willing to pay. And of course, we have a lot of guidelines and frameworks and knowledge and assumptions. But at the end of the day, there are certain things that the applied technology can do much better. And whether we want that the AI is deciding for us or not is actually not so important at this stage. But it's much more important that we are utilizing AI to make the decision process better. So it's not here to replace any humans, you know. Uh, like a lot of the people think like uh, AI will tarnish so many different jobs, some job categories probably yes, but in our environment of sales, that's definitely not the reason or the purpose of why we want to apply AI, but it's really to serve our salespeople to make better decisions and also to venture in areas where a salesperson would only be able to opportunistically venture, but now with the power of technology, we can even address, let's say, the long tail of decisions, which often were unfortunately not addressed before, but now now they can be. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm.
1: So if we talking it because he said like you know digital technologies and the, you know machine learning and data driven right if we follow the, the rational you know in somehow being a more digital company right then it's mostly driven by processes right this is also an area where you <laughs> work heavily right process uh, you know intelligence and and process automation and those kinds of aspects so and what we do is in effectively right you look at the given process see what of this process is already digitized what is not yet digitized and maybe should be embraced, to be somehow, you know, what's the digital pendant on that? And then you look somehow for where's the biggest pain in this process, and can we somehow use or make use of technology to support people in, you know, making this process more automatic, more efficient, you know, gaining efficiency, right? This is how you somehow gain efficiency in a corporation, but how do you identify, you know, it's, it's not easy processes that we have, right? How do you identify which of the processes are a huge pain for, for the corporation or for the customers? How do you assess that? Is there? Do you have any, I don't know, blueprint, any blue box or structured manner?
0: Well, definitely there's not a blueprint or if there's a blueprint, it's actually always being uh, written and rewritten as we speak. But I think uh, maybe that is uh, one part of my bliss uh, being in the company for nearly now two decades in uh, five countries all around the world in different functions that I have been able to see a lot of this process pain. You know, I really actually started 2002 as an EDI analyst writing code so that all the managers didn't have to do clickety-clack on the keyboard, right? And 16 years later, I am the global head of Offer to order, order to cash, looking at 70 million line items across Siemens AG, 250 billion euros volume, transactional volume, around 400 million activities, and each activity having around 160 data points. That's a lot of data. And I said, wow, if I had that in 2002, my goodness, how much could I have actually changed? But I'm not looking backwards in some nostalgia, but I'm looking forward. And therefore we have been able to successfully drive with technology things which we have been living for literally over two decades. And it is also true, you know, and and you will always hear me saying that we need to have the courage to actually listen to people who go through that pain firsthand and also give them the trust and the ability to get rid of that pain. And they don't do that for their own experience, but they are like me thinking, how many people can they actually help by doing that, that they, other people don't have to go through this painful experience themselves. In other words, if I can share something and then somebody else can be my boss in one, two years because they know everything like I did, did not even surpass me in everything else, I would be so proud. It's like having kids, right? I mean, I would never get mad at my daughter being able to do something much, much better than I was able when I was 10, correct? Maybe people would say, T, you are such a proud father, you know, you keep it down a little bit, yeah, but, you know, it's okay to be a proud father. And therefore, when I'm in this corporate environment, having been in many different countries, in different functions, I, I just want that people don't have to go through that painful experience at times and be able to address even the the other things, the the new things, you know, the the ones I have not yet experienced or encompassed.
2: Wow, that's uh, a lot of experience and also a great impact being able to like make the life easier for so many customers or people. But how does that actually feel for you to be able to automate so many tasks uh, with only a very limited number of people? So like millions of tasks and only automating them with like three people, that sounds insane. How, th- how does that feel for you?
0: Well, first of all, of course, it, it does feel great, but it, it wasn't three people. The project and the program when we drove this topic was really only three people. But of course, the real, real action was the entire organization whose names we don't always know, to be quite honest, and who had actually no voice before. So technology was a a new, let's say, also digital meeting ground to actually show the great work. You know, you have to understand that I don't need to go into any country. We, We traveled actually in that year around 27, 30 countries, really in just one year. And I don't need to tell any country, hey, we have a process improvement project going on. No, they are improving the processes every single day. The only thing is my job is to enable them that they can do what they do daily in a much more impactful way by the use of technology. And the secret source, of course, is themselves, yeah, the people around it. So, yes, it makes us very proud because we all know that we can't change the past of us having to do the clickety-clack part with the mouse and on the keyboard. And nobody in the countries, when we were talking with them, were afraid that they would make themselves obsolete or redundant. Because they know that nobody really wants to do mundane and stupid work, yeah, so to speak, or non-value-creating work. Yeah? And, and I think this is really, really important. I think many times uh, what I noticed also is there is a certain, I wouldn't say distrust, but I think a certain opinion that we shouldn't do this because people will do that. They will sabotage, they will block but they don't and maybe the people who think like that they would do it themselves but honestly speaking the people in the so called trenches they don't yeah and uh, i think that's that's really a very important thing yeah?
1: That's an interesting, right? So what does it mean for, for leadership there, right? Speaking on leadership in the age of AI, right? What does it mean? How do you empower that, right? We are talking about the distributed organization, right? Country, lead country, you know, not yet anymore. But, you know, somehow, you know, you have reworking colleagues anyway, not only, you know, within COVID times, but, you know, within, you know, traditional international corporations too, right? Towards different countries, different sites. Like you, you demand and, you, you, you know, you definitely need to, to buy in, basically, and the intrinsic motivation of the colleagues, right? Shaping, as you you said it out, right, in the beginning, right? It's the people and it's us all together, you know, shifting and moving and inventing, reinventing and optimizing, right? What's your stake on leadership? What, What are the key essential building blocks, leaders of tomorrow and today maybe already need to have in order to maneuver in the ship of bit of uncertainty as well?
0: Well, first of all, if I can quote uh, Simon Sinek, you know, leadership is not about the position, you know, at a certain level up in the hierarchy, but leadership is really about everyone can be a leader. And there's also this very famous uh, video about a guy dancing crazily and then another person follows, you know, and all of these things. And then in a, in a minute at this festival, everyone is just dancing like crazy. And I think this is really that yes, we need we think of leadership, like I don't know Jeff Bezos or, or Steve Jobs. Let, let's take the example of Steve Jobs and Apple. But Steve Jobs would have not been so so famous and so successful if he didn't have people like Steve Wozniak. So I think that actually the real leaders often are the first followers, who have the courage to actually go along the otherwise crazy person because this kind of leadership this courage makes a crazy person acceptable and then later everyone will say I was crazy not to follow them so therefore for me that is leadership when you have the courage the curiosity to learn and if you boil it down it's exactly what defines us as humans this is what we have been, always been better than the machines, always are better and always will be better into all eternity when it comes to topics like empathy, curiosity, uh, collaboration. yeah, that, That's what defines us as humans. Yeah, And so leadership is nothing hard. And trust me, it's so, so easy to be like me, really. Everyone can be like me, easy. The only thing which probably is just challenging is to be like me every day when good things happen when bad things happen and not to crack down and it's not because i have some magic blueprint or roadmaps but i think that i just know where my compass is aligned and i think this is really when it comes to leadership will you speak up even knowing that in this corporate environment for example you will be pushed down into a corner and you still do it nonetheless that is the courage sometimes you have to do and I think uh, Jeff Immelt said that, you know, it's just about breaking the rules every day without getting fired. Yeah, because we always...
1: (laughs) I love that. That is what we call
0: bold. (laughs) Yeah, we always have to push ourselves because we have to understand anything. Let's take a water bottle. Let's take a chair. Everything which is possible now at some point was impossible. And my two ladies... Who I basically kidnapped from their old job, right? Who have been doing order management for the majority of their Siemens career, they no one told them what was impossible. So they just did it. They just did the what the other people thought was impossible, but they were not driven by proving other people I can do the impossible. No. They just wanted to make other people's lives better. And that's what that's all what's about. And that is true leadership. Yeah? And I hope that we will have an organization that will also allow these people to develop, that they can also scale the past successes onto other people and that we all share on it. Yeah, That's what I'm, I'm looking for. And I think we still have too much, and I'm not talking about meritocracy or something like that, but we still have a system where we are actually promoting people still based on, on seniority just by the number of years people are in the in the company Uh, and and that's that's something really i hope to see in in a different way and we do have actually some uh, some examples but unfortunately they're still uh, very much the exception
2: how can you bring by like a culture change like that in a company is it only leadership or are there also other component or aspects that have to change for a company mm.
0: it's a very tough but uh, of course relevant uh, question because i think there's even a lot of discourse on the meaning of uh, a culture right what is culture and culture eats strategy for breakfast and all of these things but there's actually a concept of a so-called cultural web where we say that you know if you really want to make change change that sticks not just some temporary change you have to really actually address six different areas and they're called the myths symbols power structures organization structures control systems and routines and rituals so if you for example and i'm not going to to go into all the different kind of uh, aspects. But for example, if you want to have a change in performance, you really need to focus on your control systems and your organization structures to some extent. And if you want to, for example, create a change in behavior, you really need to focus on your control systems, very much on your organization structures, very much on your power structures, and a little bit on your routines and rituals, on your myths and your symbols. But if you really want to change culture, you have to do all of it all that I mentioned just now, all of these six things must be addressed. You need to have the the myths, the myths about these three renegade people traveling around the world, creating some change. You need to have the symbols like that digital fit rate they created. You need to have the change of power structures where I was suddenly allowed to have actually employees in Spain, in Sweden, and my team was actually 50-50 now outside of the headquarter. That's also part of organizational structure. And the control system really was actually very loose. So uh, we didn't have a control system, but uh, we were, let's say, very much aligned on the same compass. And so in order to really drive cultural change, I think it is very important to understand that it is always a marathon. But on the other hand, I also want to say one thing which we always see that you know we talk always about change management is very important and in a project change management is important but my question is if change is the only constant in life why do we then only have change managers let's say during some projects and why do we have to talk so much about it because it apparently seems that we are actually not very good at it at all and that is actually something what I find surprising because you could think that If you, I don't know, if you hit the wall 10 times, but you get a little bit smarter and and try to find some other ways. No, let me try to do it an 11th time. You know, So when it comes to this cultural change, I think we need to have also a different way on how we address change, generally speaking, and with a much more positive outlook.
2: Thank you very much. So maybe let's now vo- move back. Like That was like super inspiring. But what I would be like super interested is if you have a look back to the last years, so what would you recognize as, as the major breakthroughs in the field of AI, especially with regards to industrial AI? Mm.
0: Well, for me, honestly speaking, one of the major breakthroughs in AI, of course, cat picture recognition. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's, for me, particularly, it's actually like AlphaGo. You know, I thought that was a really, really interesting because you know you had Deep Blue with Gary Kasparov a couple of years back, right? And then, but actually, chess is not as complex as is Go. But for me, there are so many different applications of AI which I find really mind-blowing. You know, when it comes to Machines talking to machines, you know, cyber physical systems where, for example, preventive maintenance uh, use cases are there. And the machine tells the other machine, hey, can you please take over for a couple of minutes because I'm going to order myself a service engineer for a replacement of a spare part, which I, by the way, ordered myself in the SAP system. You know, Things like that. It's really cool. But what terrifies me to some extent is also that you know we have um, self-driving cars uh, very soon but there are so many places in the world where people cannot even afford a car they don't even have roads to drive on with yeah so i would really love to see more application and use cases also for uh, the yeah let's call it it's already you overuse i'm sorry for that for the human good you know i also think that actually uh, our use case in the past, with the dynamic pricing in the sales process also was actually pretty good. Well, that's a major breakthrough. No, probably not. <laughs>
1: You are also embracing somehow responsibilities, right? It's, it seems to be the red line throughout the conversation, actually. So like, you know, what, what's the responsibility? What's the the human factor in this corporate <laughs> corporate house and, and, and these processes, right? And uh, you you put also it's a quite some aspect on sustainability you mentioned uh, right away, right? And I've learned not only because you're boldly, you're wearing, you know, often some, some T-shirts uh, indicating that, but also I've learned actually from you, uh, about your initiative, which is not in the corporate, right? It's outside, I guess, on on your private good, on the Plastic Bank Foundation, which is kind of interesting. I never heard it before, actually. I knew about the problem, but I never heard it before. But maybe can you share with the audience also, right? How did you end up, you know, and what what drives you and the rationale behind the idea of exposing towels, the Plastic Bank? Yes, so it's actually quite easy
0: to explain. If you're in the kitchen, you know, and the sink is overflowing with water, you know, all the water is now on the floor. You're not going to get a bucket and a mop to to mop the water into the bucket. The first thing you do is to turn off the tap. And fishing out plastic from the oceans, which is a horrible thing, is also very useless because every minute there's so much plastic garbage, new garbage in the in the ocean, you can't really fish it out. So the thing is we need to understand that plastic in the ocean is not a plastic problem, it's a human problem, and it is really related to poverty because 80% of all the plastic which goes into the ocean comes from impoverished places. And these people do not have the luxury to think about recycling or waste management or anything because they don't even know where to get the next meal. So therefore, it is very important to understand that it is driven by poverty, and if you can get rid of that poverty, then you can also tackle the plastic problem. So the plastic bank basically supports the collection of plastic. In the collection center, it's weighed and measured and cleaned up. And then the people will get basically money for it. And it's actually, by the way, also pretty cool technology behind it. It's a hyperledger blockchain sponsored by IBM. And so people receive a, a new identity, a new self-worth. And... This is something which the founder and CEO David Katz has shared with me is when it comes to eliminating poverty, it basically means how much further into the future with a positive outlook can a person look. So if you have a drug addict who is really looking for his next shot or a very poor person looking for his next meal or me trying to think about the next vacation. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they can look into decades into the future because that's the wealth. And if you can change that the person who's worried about making ends meet uh, of next week and then thinking about actually sending the kids to school, that means that poverty has been eliminated. And therefore, to actually make it very simple, I think that any business idea or product or service, if that is not needed anymore, that's a good day. What I'm trying to say is, I'm extremely proud and humbled to be able to work in healthcare because I know at the end of the day, this serves a human being for a better life. And if I don't have to sell any CTs or MRs anymore because we have cured cancer and all the other diseases, it's a good day to become bankrupt. So that's also the thing about plastic. If one day there is no plastic, to be collected and then to create a new value for it, that would be a good day. But unfortunately, it's not happening yet. But nonetheless, we are working on it. We give plastic a new life. And also, it is definitely this whole plastic shaming is, is totally wrong. Eh? So it is really about giving plastic a new value. You would not throw away a bottle of plastic onto the streets if it was worth $10. You wouldn't do it. You would collect it. And that's the thing. Yeah. Yes, I don't like virgin plastic because there's enough plastic already around on this earth. But on the other hand, we need to understand that plastic is really a field of diamonds. And we just need to grab them to give it a new life.
2: Thank you very much, team. Like a look on the watch reveals that we're already at the end of this very, very inspiring and insightful session. But before we get to our closing game, I also wanted to ask you if you have any book recommendation or online education courses for the people out there to get involved and started in the areas of AI and sales, sustainability or entrepreneurial spirit. Do you have any um, recommendations there?
0: Well, I guess it's also related to AI I think that Dr. Kai-Fu Lee's book, uh, AI Superpowers, is a very, very interesting book uh, everyone should have a, a look at when it comes to AI. Maybe also The End of Work by Daniel Susskind is also quite uh, interesting. It's more on the economical social uh, side. But honestly, a book recommendation I can uh, just bring on at the moment is from Rutger Bregman <laughs> as uh, Humankind. I think that's actually the best book at the moment people should read. Spoiler alert, humans are good. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank you so much. So uh, before we call it a day, we have a small game prepared for you. We do it with every podcast guest. So let me give you for the closing a couple of sentence starter, and then you will just finish. Are you ready, T? Always. Perfect. So Siemens is...
0: Uh, not innovation for business, but ingenuity for life.
2: Okay. And the final front here is...
1: <laughs> A new hope. <laughs> yeah, sure. What else? Right-y. What yes. else? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Love it. Innovation is...
0: Innovation is important. Exclamation point. <laughs>
2: Great. Right. I agree. My favorite quote is...
0: A favorite quote lots of lots of quotes at the moment the value of you is not what you know but what you share by jenny rometti
2: lovely and last but not least my personal superpower is
0: like nick fury having no superpowers but bringing the right superheroes together
1: awesome t thanks so much right not only you know spending the time with us here but being hundred percent you, I love it. And folks out there, stay tuned. there's so much to come. Uh, you know, stay bold, committed and open-minded and hear you at the next Siemens ALF podcast. Thanks T.)